you get so deep with people so quickly as a dancer because you're both mutually, you know, motivated, right? Like I'm motivated by the money to connect with you and you're motivated by the boobs to connect with me. Radio Mano Papachango. stories of traveling have really inspired me to be stood here right now in Gatwick airport other times I've been here were to go on holiday with friends to get pissed up some fancy hotel with some giant ass pools lots of slides the same fucking bullshit you get all around the world so this time I'm on my own doing something different I'm flying to Lima then to Iquitos then going into the rainforest to be drinking ayahuasca on a 12-day retreat. So, so much gratitude for you, Chris, for all the sick and all the poo-poo from about to get out of me. Uh, I love your podcast, and Hare Krishna! Dr. Chris, this is Tommy Gray, messaging you from uh, the front seat of my... 2005 Mercedes Sprinter van ex-ambulance from Australia I'm up in the Gold Coast I've been on the road for about the past two years and just traveling around living in the living in the van and uh, yeah man you've been a, a great source of company and entertainment towards or to me on the long drives so I wanted to say cheers for that bro and um, yeah keep keep doing what you're doing because uh, love your work man all right peace Chris Ryan, Lindsay Trossel here, listening to you from Indianapolis, Indiana, as I clean houses. I like to say I nurture homes, sacred spaces for people to come home and strip their layers of ego and expectation and return to their authentic self. Thank you for your conversations, your guests. You stay with me and you change me. All the best. Peace. Oh, thank you so much, all of you who send in those intro clips. Uh, it's really beautiful and very touching. I am coming to you now from a logging road uh, above Squamish, a little north of uh, Squamish, British Columbia. Uh, Mount uh, Garibaldi is behind me. And I'm looking across the valley at, I'm looking on my phone actually to tell me what these mountains are called. Uh, come on, phone. Uh, Serratus Mountain, the Red Tusk. The Red Tusk is pretty cool looking. Uh, yeah, it's a range of very dramatic mountains there. Mount Tantalus and Tantalus Provincial Park are right there. Yeah. Beautiful. Anyway, uh, let's see. Mount Tantalus. Give us a sense of how how tall that is. It doesn't say when I just click on it. Um, anyway, it's a big-ass mountain. Check it out. So that's where I am. I came up here in the van and um, 
just killing uh, a night because I'm flying up to uh, Cortez Island tomorrow to visit uh, Andy Weil for a couple nights. And uh, then back to Vancouver. We're having a get-together in Vancouver. So if you're listening to this right away and you're in Vancouver, we're having a get-together Thursday night. Still haven't decided where we're going to do it yet. We're open to suggestions. We're getting suggestions from folks. Uh, Follow me on Twitter or Instagram, um, or if you hear this and, and for some reason you can't find the information online, feel free to contact me through the website that chrisryan.com you'll see under chris there's a contact thing and i'll let you know where we decide to do it right now i'm thinking we'll probably do it at a place called local in kitsilano right down near the beach the pool that area uh it's a big place lots of beer um uh and lots of space to to hang out and talk so we'll probably do that this thursday night if you're in vancouver or can get here there um Come come say hello and meet your other tangentialistas. We had a great time in Seattle. Over 50 people showed up. Uh, great time in Santa Cruz. Uh, really amazing how many people show up and, and how cool they all are. And uh, it's just really nice to see friendships sort of blossom in those situations. Anyway, this episode is with Leanne Corsi. Um... Let me tell you what she is on Instagram. If you want to follow her, it's uh, Leanna Corsi, Orsi, Leanne Orsi, uh, L-E-I-G-H, and then separate word, Anne, and last word, Orsi, O-R-S-I. She is an interesting woman. She came to me through my buddy um, Kaj Larson, who was on uh, on this podcast at some point, uh, Navy SEAL. Uh, Interesting. She's sort of a female embodiment of a Navy SEAL. She's a warrior. She's um, super fit. She's a dancer. Uh, She was a stripper for years. She was a child actor. Uh, She's uh, very kind of, I don't know how to say it. It's like she's, her her physical energy and physical, like, athletic um, strength is reflected in her approach to life. She's... A no nonsense, no bullshit. Um, doing some really interesting stuff. She's basically, uh, my understanding is, she sort of started the whole pole dancing fitness craze, and she's having trouble on Facebook because they won't let her advertise uh, events that she does um, because there's a fucking brass pole involved, and women are wearing. Um, bikinis and the reason women have to wear bikinis when they're working the pole is that the uh, skin contact enables them to control their movement on the pole and you can't do it with tights or whatever Um, they're not strippers this is not stripping this is working out Um, but because there's a pole and because the women are wearing bikinis Facebook has decided that it doesn't meet their community standards Fuck their community standards. What community standards you guys have? Standards where people can steal private information and then sell it? Is that that kind of community standards? Standards where, where 
bots can come on and lie and create political movements out of nothing and, and pit people against one another to fuck up a country's politics and culture. Those those sorts of community standards. Mark Fuckerberg. Anyway, sorry. I don't like that guy. Not his fault. Um, I just don't I just don't like that. Uh, that the commons, the the sort of the place where we meet these days is now owned by a private company. Like, where do we meet that isn't privately owned with some dipshit 35-year-old deciding what's proper and what's decent and what's acceptable? Whatever happened to a public space where we all get to decide what we want to say and what we want to do and, and things are not controlled by some company worried about its liability insurance. Anyway, Vanthropology 2019 is going really well. I'm having a great time. Uh, it's been fantastic to to meet everybody along the way. Uh, we're cruising along up the Pacific Coast. Uh, once we get back from Cortez, as I said, we'll spend another night or two in Vancouver. And then it's up to, by the way, in Vancouver, I've been staying on my friend's yacht. Not just a yacht, a mega yacht. It's really something to spend a month in a van and then go from that to a mega yacht. If you want to check it out, you can Google the name of it. It's Komokwa, uh, K-O-M-O-K-W-A. It's... um. Um, a word that means the the spirit of the oceans under the surface of the oceans. I think it's, uh, I, f- I forget the name of the tribe, but it's one of the First Nations people here in the Pacific Northwest of B.C. Um, so that, I've been staying on that, uh, a big change from the van. But I'm happy to be back in the van, I have to say, which I consider to be a, a land yacht, a road yacht. Uh, Scarlet has been performing beautifully thanks to Oliver Thorpe uh, and his loving care. So, yeah, so far she's been without flaw. Uh, I guess that's all I really have to tell you. I apologize for the long delay uh, between episodes. It's It's been almost two weeks since I uploaded an episode. Um, it's just been hard to, you know, find the time and the internet connection and so on uh as it happens i have phone connectivity from where i'm sitting on this logging road and uh so i'm going to try uploading this episode through my phone and see how that works if not it'll go up uh, through a starbucks tomorrow uh that's it i'm gonna exit now and keep this one short and sweet and um i hope to upload another episode soon. I've been recording some fantastic episodes. I recorded uh, an episode with Dr. Lori Brado um, two days ago in Vancouver. She's a world-renowned researcher and uh, expert on particularly on female sexual desire. So we had a very interesting conversation there. So I've got uh, three or four, five maybe episodes uh, that I recorded before leaving Los Angeles Uh, Those are coming up. All of them are fantastic. And then I'll be moving into the episodes that I've recorded on the road, which are also fantastic. 
Honestly, when they're not fantastic, I don't upload them. I, I make some lame excuse and don't really bring them to you. So hopefully you agree that the quality is pretty good. Uh, and when they're not great, it's my fault. It's never the guest's fault. It's because I have a hangover or I'm just not on that day, whatever. Um, yeah. So I'm going to play a tune. This song really has nothing to do with the guest, Leanne Orsi. Uh, although I guess there's something about slipping and sliding on a brass pole. But I, I just heard this song the other day driving down the highway. It's an old song by Paul Simon called Slip Sliding Away. And, uh, of course, it's you know maybe the hundredth time I've heard the song. But every time I listen to it, I'm struck by its simple profundity. It's um, so beautiful, so touching, so deeply sad, um, and really gets to something that can't really be captured in words, I think, but he gets very, very close to it. So I hope you enjoy the song. I hope you give the lyrics some thought. And uh, thank you, as always, for listening to this podcast and giving me something to do that is so much fun and meaningful. I hope you're doing well out there. Talk to you soon. Slip sliding away Slip sliding away You know the nearer your destination The more you slip sliding away I know a man He came from my hometown He wore his passion for his woman Like a thorny crown said, Dolores, I live in fear. My love for you is so overpowering, I'm afraid that I will disappear. Slip sliding away, slip sliding away. You know the nearer your destination, the more you slip sliding away. I know a woman became a wife. These are the very words she uses to describe her life. She said, A good day ain't got no rain. She said, A bad day's when I lie in bed and think of things that might have been. Slip sliding away Slip sliding away You know the nearer your destination The more you slip sliding away And I know a father who had a son He longed to tell him all the reasons For the things he'd done 
He came a long way just to explain. He kissed his boy as he lay sleeping, then he turned around and headed home again. His slip sliding, slip sliding away. You know the near your destination, more you slip sliding away. God only knows God makes his plan The information's unavailable To the mortal man We're working our jobs Collect our pay Believe we're gliding down the highway When in fact we're slip sliding away Slip sliding Slip sliding away. You know the nearest destination. More you slip sliding away. Slip sliding away. Slip sliding away. You know the nearest destination. More you slip sliding away. Topanga, California, with Leanne Orsi, who is a mutual friend with Kaj Larson. Uh, we were just talking about him, but the <laughs> there was no card, so no the evidence card. has been destroyed. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Not a coincidence. How did that happen? Kaj has been on the podcast. Yeah, he was uh, just on recently, right? Uh, well, no, it's been a while, I think. I think he's only been on once. Yeah, I think he's only been on once. We need it's time we're due for a second. Um but yeah, he's uh he's a really interesting guy. I I was saying how we were talking about how Kosh is a Navy SEAL and yet he's you know, one of the sweetest men I know. Right. You know, just you would never feel any sense of danger or threat around him. Well, but I think that he's developed, you know, both sides and it allows him to be more sweet. And I feel that way. I'm a martial artist. And the fact that I know how to defend myself physically makes me more comfortable and able to be soft and gentle and not afraid, you know? Right. So you're able to develop your feminine side. Yeah. I've worked on both, actually, the masculine and the feminine. Yeah, I think yeah. it's important for everyone. Balance. To develop You're both. Right. And, yeah. and having one developed allows the development of the other. Yeah. Actually, my business is I own a pole dancing studio here mm-hmm. in Hollywood. But 
way before that I did Muay Thai full time for five years and I fought and then I went into the feminine and like both of those sports are actually like very physical representations of the masculine Mm. of the feminine so sensual dancing body language Mm. this sort of alluring movement and then martial arts which is defense protection um and it's masculine and like building both of those energies in your body and having mastery of both like Mm. makes you a really uh confident person i think it's interesting i studied uh kung fu when i was quite young i started when i was eight until i was 15 Mm -hmm. and thinking back on it it occurs to me now i've never had this insight until just listening to you right now that kung fu felt feminine to me in a way Mm. like i knew i was learning techniques that could kill people but i was dancing it is yeah, like you know, dance, and yeah. And the movements, especially the style I studied, the movements were based on animal movements, mm-hmm. and there was this fluidity to it. It was all, the, you know, be mm-hmm. like water, that kind of thing. Yeah. And, and it was as comfortable as I've ever felt in my body. You yeah. Know? Like, I yeah. can't salsa dance. I try to salsa dance. I feel... I'm just like the dorkiest white dude who's ever lived, you know? But are you having fun? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Definitely not. No. I'm having fun standing at the bar watching the women salsa dance. Well, you know your place. Yeah, exactly. It's found my niche in the world. Um, but yeah, it, no, it just occurred to me that, that Kung Fu was as comfortable as I felt in my body. Not that being comfortable in your body is a feminine thing necessarily, but something about the the I could get that. Masculinity of it allowed me to flow in a way. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. it made yeah. It gave you permission. Yeah. to find the feminine in it. But I get that that kung fu is very feminine. Yeah. Yeah, like a kata is a it's a form yeah. of dance. It is dance, and I always say that good martial arts, and I do muay thai, which is a very you know aggressive, but it, a good martial arts is dancing. Mm. You know, it's yeah. the same. Yeah, it's beautiful. I, and they're very different, of course. Like Taekwondo, I think, is much less feminine than Kung well, Fu. Well, just because it's more explosive, but it's all the same. Like turns well, and yeah. extension, it's flexibility. It's a lot of things sure. that you would um, you would associate with women. I, I, when I moved, I moved when I was 15 and I wanted to continue martial arts and I signed up for a Taekwondo school, not understanding how different it was. And I found Taekwondo to be very rigid and mm. square, mm-hmm. you know, like someone would come an overhead attack and it was a block, a forearm block. Whereas in Kung Fu, everything was circular pa- and parry you, the energy, you right? Parry it and you, you know, turn and you, everything was all about curves and yeah. Taekwondo was straight. Just lines. run straight into it. Yeah. Yeah. And block attack, block attack, as opposed to f- having it flow through you yeah i love that and then years later i did aikido which again was much more flow i Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed that Mm -hmm. it's kind of like mathematics i love the concepts more than the problem the applications (laughs) yes i'd love to just go to a martial arts class and sit in the corner and think about it much like salsa dancing well there you go you found your place (laughs) then (laughs) at the bar again at the bar yeah so uh you uh kaj suggested we talk because like female empowerment seemed to be like the theme yeah um so i have been uh 
you know, changing women's lives through movement for the last 12 years. Mm -hmm. Um, I was one of the people that like started the pole dance movement. And, um, in this last, uh, couple of months I produce I produce a big event it's like a Cirque du Soleil show with pole dancing as the pole as the main apparatus right mm. and it's extremely athletic acrobatic it's beautiful it's artistic and this year I just ran headfirst into so many problems with advertising with media with everyone who just like completely misunderstands what we're doing mm. and I got in this big battle specifically with Facebook <laughs> over you know, why they won't let me advertise my event, you know, because we're wearing a bikini, but, you know, men, shirtless men can advertise, you know, their fitness things or their, you know, sports drinks or whatever. And it, it was completely unfair. And I also was like very verbal, like trying to explain to people like, no, this is a female empowerment thing. This is not objectifying women. It is not adult entertainment. It is not for men. This is actually by women for women. We are like, you know, facing our fears, pushing through pain, accepting and loving our bodies. And this is something that like makes us stronger and makes us more, um, you know, less of all the, less of all the other things. Right? right. And as I'm explaining this to people, people are like, wow, you know, it, a new conversation started really about, you know, female empowerment. And I thought, you know, I've been doing pole dancing for a long time and I've been running headfirst into brick walls because people don't understand the medium. And I thought, well, why don't I just get rid of the pole and teach the same things? And so I've kind of embarked on a new journey of um, female empowerment seminars where we're taking all of the concepts and all the things that have worked because really it's the most transformative thing that you can do just like martial arts can transform you from someone who's shy and afraid to someone who has like confidence in their physical body mm. it's the same thing what this sport specifically does for women and part of it is the state of undress that you need to be in to do it because we actually use our skin to stick to the right, metal so right. people think we're wearing a bikini because we're trying to be sexy like as some sort of form of you know fashion uh, right. but it's really function because we use yeah. our skin to stick to the metal and the number one just that element of it is extremely painful and you have to like decide if if you can handle it and then once you decide you can handle it and you push through that pain and your body adjusts and goes okay that's not so bad you know i can do this like how that affects your perception in the world and how you can do that in other areas of life. And the fact that you have to take off your clothes and look at yourself in the mirror and women come to accept their bodies, like maybe not for what it looks like, but for what it can do. And, mm. you know, one day they're learning this body language and posture and they catch a glimpse of themselves in the mirror and they decide that they're beautiful. And these experiences change their lives. And I'm embarking on a new journey of like, how can I take all of those lessons that I've, all the ways I've watched women grow and watch women transform through this practice and apply it to all women, not just women who come to my studio to seek this out or come to my seminars because I teach all over the world. And it's interesting how it works different in different cultures too. Mm. But um, how can I take this lesson and, and, uh, and remove the push point that is the pole that people still just associate with stripping and associate with some sort of sleazy, um, some sort of sleazy activity. And how can I like, you know, magnify the message and 
you know, transfer it to a larger group of people. So are you losing the pole in your workshops as well? No, uh, well, I, I'm still teaching pole dancing and I still have my business, but I am creating a workshop that is doesn't have pole dancing. It does right. incorporate movement, but it's much more of an emo- emotional journey yeah. through all of those same experiences and kind of trying to apply it in life without the long term, like, oh, I'm going to climb this thing and then realize that I'm strong. Like, how can we just address that stuff directly? So it's experimental mm. right. at this point, but it's an exciting thing to right. move to. Did, were you a stripper at some point? Is I was, yeah. Right. When I was 19, uh, actually, my story is very interesting. I was a child actor. And as most child actors do, I had a major falling out with my parents and the, the uh, you know, puberty years. Puberty mm. is very difficult for child actors and I have some theories about that. Yeah. But um, I went to one of those crazy like boarding school, like jail places <laughs> that your parents put you in. And I came out of there uh, completely disconnected from my family and cut off financially from my earnings as a child actor and I was literally you know everything that happens to a young woman alone in the world at that age and um, I was hungry and uh, losing my apartment and in a lot of trouble and I ended up going to one of an amateur contest to try and earn some money because I was a great dancer and when they asked me like oh do you want to work here and I was like no you know I'm not a stripper sorry But then I left like with money in my pocket for the first time in a long time. And I thought, well, it wasn't so bad. I actually kind of liked it. Mm -hmm. And I went back and I danced for three years. And honestly, it was the best job I ever had. Like I always say, like I said to people like, wait, let me get this straight. You know, you want me to dance around in my underwear and you're going to give me money and attention. Mm. Like I would probably do it just for the attention, (laughs) you know, and you're going to give me money and more money than anyone else is going to give me for anything. And, you know, I came up in the entertainment world, so it was an entertainment job with really low amount of responsibility. And, um, I loved it. I ended up on the kind of like high circuit where I was going around and opening clubs, you know, in New York and in Chicago and man, it it was a wild ride. Huh? Did you ever go to no, Alaska? No, I didn't do Alaska, uh, actually. But we talked about it a lot. You know, like the crab boat money or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Crab boat money. Yeah. Yeah. I The first... So when I was in college, I was like super feminist, um, sort of ashamed to be a white man kind of vibe, you know? <laughs> That's going on a lot now these days yeah too. yeah i was a i was an early early adapter, adopter. <laughs> <laughs> exactly uh but then i hitchhiked to alaska and um i was up in alaska and i was with these dudes and they they wanted to go to this strip club in anchorage called the alaskan bush company i've heard of it <laughs> <laughs> This is back when that joke made sense. Right. right? There's no bushes anymore. <laughs> no bush anymore. The bush has been cleared. Uh, and they, so we, they were like, all right, let's go to this thing. And they, I got, somebody had a car. I remember uh, we were in Kenai and this was in Anchorage. So it was like an hour and a half, two hour drive or something. So I said, look, I'll go with you for the ride. Um, but I'm not going in there. And oh, come on. All right. No, no, I'm not going to. So we got there. The three of them went in. I stayed in the car. <laughs> reading me reading my Sultra Nietzsche or whatever the fuck I was reading 
And after about an hour, one of them came out and he's like, Chris, you got to come in here, dude. This, you are you know, missing out. You're in the missing. car. This is so amazing. And so I went in and of course my thing was strippers are exploited. They're sad. They're, you know, trying to feed their children and they're, they're you know, the society has marginalized them and it was all mm-hmm. just this terrible, Negative. horrible thing. I went in there. Those women were having so much fun. Oh, honestly, it's so much fun. I mean, you couldn't fake it. I know most porn is faked. I know a lot of strippers are. I know a lot of strippers are lesbians and they're faking their attraction to men. But those women were soaking up the attention. Mm-hmm. That was yeah. it. They were smiling so like you could just see they were energized by and I, they were making a lot of money. Yeah. Because there's a the lot money of is energizing there. as well. Yeah. But especially in Alaska. I was, you know, I was always sexy. Like I was sexy when I was two. And, and it really worked for me. Like, it was part of my, like, gig. Like, you know, as a child actor, I was, like, this cute, mm-hmm. adorable, like, flirty little, you know, right. tiny thing. And then I hit puberty, and all of a sudden, the world was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, like, all of a sudden, yeah. it was a bad Rain thing. it in, girl. Yeah. yeah. And, and it was very, like... Ugh disassociate it was so confusing to me that like you know all of a sudden I'm growing into this body and it's already confusing being you know puberty and then right. everyone is repelled by my my myself you know my sensuality Isn't that and, funny the same thing like when they didn't have to take it seriously it's cute yeah and it was but encouraged once you're a sexual being in their eyes then it's dangerous and yeah vulgar yeah yeah. and one of the most amazing things about being a dancer being a stripper was it was the one place where i could be as sexy as i wanted to Mm. be and it was accepted and rewarded as opposed to shunned and i i loved that about it and i came into my own and i even in a stopped acting out you know it for sexual attention Mm. you know because i had such a safe place to do it and it was Mm. so you know supported in that environment and you know I met a man and fell in love and got married and left dancing and I was not involved in it at all actually I was doing martial arts and um, I wasn't involved for about three years and I started a gym and I heard that pole dancing was like a thing that they were doing for fitness and I really missed it Uh, I missed the expression I missed the you know, it was fun. Like it was so fun to dance that way and to build the energy and express it and spread it around. And I remember telling people like, you know, I'm like really good at this. Mm. And, um, I remember the first time I danced for my husband, he was like, wow, actually you are really good at this. And you were already married before he'd seen you dance. Um, yeah, like it was, it was a, actually he had seen me but not for many years, you know? So there was like a, there was a break in it. And, um, you know, when I opened a pole dance studio and, uh, it was really for me because Mm. I wanted a place to do this again. And, you know, I put my first videos on YouTube kind of like, all right, I'm kissing my acting career. Goodbye. You know, I was maybe 26. I opened my studio at 25. I was 26. So there was still like the possibility of, you know, maybe going back, but I was like, all right, the whole world's going to know that I was a stripper now. So, you know, this is the end of it. And I kind of did it like close my eyes and mm. push the button and they became very popular on YouTube. And that kind of like started, you know, I was one of the first people doing acrobatic tricks, athletic tricks and sexy dancing at the same time. Um, I, I can hear thousands of listeners 
going to their computers right now, where, where would they find these? Um, YouTube, my YouTube channel, Leanne, L E I G H A N N. And then there's tons of YouTube videos there. For a while, I had a video that was like on the first page of, of, uh, of, YouTube, if you put pole dancing, my video was like the third one. And right now, everyone. So YouTube has no problem with this. YouTube is okay with. But Facebook's got an issue with it. Facebook does not allow me to um, sponsor posts. So they don't allow me to pay for advertising. And they also, they re- restrict your at your reach as a business unless you pay. And then they don't let me pay. They don't let you pay. And they won't oh. even let me pay to my own subscribers so it's like okay they're trying to protect innocent people from the pole dancing you know but they won't even let me pay to show it to my 20,000 subscribers that already want to see my stuff and you know Facebook and social media really controls how we share information these days it's the platform it's the medium it's so fucking patronizing it it and really is, is. It? because you're wearing a bikini but i'll bet if you're if you're advertising bikinis you can yeah oh yeah or a weekend in cancun you can like so what's the point like what is their justification a woman in a bikini is not cool no obviously that's not the issue it's 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 the misunderstanding of the pole the vertical bar i'm like if i was on a hard horizontal bar it would be fine fucking olympics Mm -hmm. and what if i'm on a pole yeah i don't know let's try well, <laughs> we could do a video. Kaj on a pool. Let's get Kaj on the pool. <laughs> <laughs> That'll work. Yeah, I can see Kaj on a pool. Yeah, yeah. Actually, <laughs> one of my favorite things was to take the fighters and like be like, do this, like lift your toes off the ground one inch, and it's it's, it's hard. really hard. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, yeah, it takes a lot of dedication and a lot of time. Um, I think that's how you break through. You get some Navy SEALs on a pole doing pole dancing and you put that on facebook let's do it that goes through kaj are you listening kaj kaj, <laughs> kaj are you there <laughs> uh i'll bet because what are they gonna do so i what did are they gonna do once and once that goes through then how are they gonna say you can't do it i did a series of videos um trying to highlight this exact point and this was actually at kaj's uh uh, brainstorming session we had a brainstorming session which he connected me with you afterwards uh, and he also told me like don't wait for press to pick this up you do the press yourself like do publicity stunts he's like what if you did a video of you like pole dancing in a suit of armor or a mm-hmm. Victorian dress and then I also did a football uniform mm-hmm. and I released it on Super Bowl Sunday nice. which was hilarious except for Facebook was already mad at me and like wouldn't show it to anybody, you know, but I do have these videos. They're on my Instagram. You can check them out. They're also on my YouTube page and they're hilarious. They're spoof videos of me like trying to dance in these ridiculous outfits, which, oh God, I woke up the next morning like, ouch, I do not recommend that. (laughs) It was so hard. Oh yeah. The armor weighed like, it weighed like 50 pounds, you know, and I'm like trying to lift myself up. I had bruises from the like shin guards or whatever, but it was really funny and really fun as well. Hilarious, goofy, but we did a bunch of stuff like that, trying to call attention to the fact that like, you know, the other thing is, is like, you know, we're wearing, this is our uniform, you know, like the bikini is our uniform and it's because we need skin. It's not like we're trying to show off our bodies or we're trying to be, you know, sexually explicit or we're trying to attract people in that way it's it's really a function of the sport it's so hypocritical too i'm sure they show car racing and the women 
or the or UFC. Surfing, surfing. Or, I mean, look surfing. at Alana Blanchard. Exactly. There's right. ads That's of her better. all over the internet surfing in a bikini. And those you can advertise, but you cannot advertise what I'm doing. And I've contested these ads. I've asked for manual reviews. And I was completely stuffed. And, you know, the difficult thing is that... Um, you know, in 2016, they let me put advertising money behind one of my videos. It got a hundred, it got one and a half million views. I sold out my show. Um, it was extremely successful because I can geolocate. Like I want to advertise to people in Los Angeles, mm. you know, near my event and show this video because what we're doing in the video, it's like, it's mind blowing. It, it's closer to Cirque du Soleil than it is to anything else like it's Cirque du Soleil and heels mm. you know and um it's beautiful and people saw it who'd never seen it before and were like I want to go mm. watch that but this year I I I didn't I didn't reach people and I had done a two night event so it was really critical that I had you know an advertising budget that I could reach new people and expose myself not only to new people to people who already have seen it before yeah. and you can't I, even reach them as you know like uh, email marketing is really dead. You, you know, you, you don't even have control of the access to your customer anymore because it is all social and it's all controlled by, you know, Facebook, which is still a bunch of dudes who are deciding what is, is okay and not okay for a woman to do with her body. I mean, that's the other thing is that like, we have the right to express our sensuality kind of as this new, like female empowerment era, you know, own our bodies, be sensual, be sexual, you know, and, and, and not be sexually harassed as a result of just being a feminine mm. woman who, you know, is expressing their sexuality. Like that's something that is healthy and good for us, you know, and this is the most ethical and, um, you know, appropriate way to do it. I yeah. Think. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I don't, I hate Facebook. <laughs> I, I spend as little yeah attention and time there as possible every time i go it, it's either people i vaguely know declaring their love for each other in a way that creeps me out <laughs> i don't care that you love each other you know? oh you mean like a relationship yeah like you know it's been 10 years since i met you you're the rock of my life like, yeah like, how <laughs> is you declaring that publicly I feel like I, you know, like someone's dragging me into their bedroom to watch them fuck. Like, ah, I, don't, I don't even want to be here. You know, it's weird. I, there is a bunch a of like of overexposing, and then just a bunch of like angry old people screaming about politics. And, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. Well, all our sport really exists online. Pole dancing really exists online because it's so visual and video driven, and we share information mm. this way. And it's also like a big community that's spread all over the world. Like some of my best friends live in the UK and Florida and Japan and, mm. you know, in, in, in Europe. And, you know, we stay connected through this web, but, you know, now it's really hard for us to, um, you know, share our information the way that we used to even, you know, I had this very successful YouTube channel, like in the late two thousands and, um, and I even just abandoned it because like I couldn't start dancing to the music. They started taking off all oh, of the videos because right. of the music. Copyright. And yeah. as a dancer, we're collaborative artists. We collaborate with music, you yeah. know, and you want to dance to music that moves you. That's popular. That's in, in the current um, time. And so it's, it's really a challenge, man. Like all of the restrictions, you know, now, now, you know, the, 
the Sesta Fosta, do you know about this? No. Which is like, a, um, I don't even know if I'm saying it right. I'm sure the internet people will correct me. But it's, um, I need to research more about it because it came up during my show and I was kind of like, I am at maximum capacity and I'm going to have to pick this back up, you know, when I have some brain waves available. Mm. But it's a law that was passed that can hold websites criminally responsible for illegal sex trade um, or, you know, human trafficking, things like that, that is advertised on their site. So like it held the corporate entity that was providing the advertising responsible for the actual sex crimes is from what I understand. Mm. Um, so, you know, like Craigslist got rid of their like personal yeah, section, you right, know about right, that. Yeah. And um, basically all these websites that were like supporting prostitution could no longer, you know, function as like the third party. Um, the innocent third party. And so this somehow is affecting why Facebook is not allowing advertising on a pole dancing video because it could possibly be adult entertainment or sex acts that could be, you know, criminal. They could be criminally. So that's what they're, they can't allow it for you because then they'd have to allow advertising for strip clubs. I think they can't differentiate. Right. You know, they have a blanket up. Oh, this is a pole. You know, we are, you know, we're not allowing any of this. And, you know, in the past, I've been able to get some advertising through. But this year I was I was completely stuffed and I had a two night event. And I mean, it got even crazier to the point where the last couple of weeks before I started talking publicly about this, like on my own channels, mm. I wrote a, an op ed for LA Weekly. Um, I did some, you know, interviews with other press. And, and, and the more I started saying, like, you know, Facebook is disenfranchising my rights to um you know equally represent represent my business just like this business down the street um i started getting less and less reach and less and less and less reach to the point where mm. i was releasing amazing videos that should have gone viral that should have had hundreds of thousands of views and they were having like a hundred views and i even was having problems sending email which i'm like okay now i'm like in the conspiracy theorist lane where i'm like someone has put like an internet hoax on me that like anything that says my show even email i couldn't send email my event my event platform ticket emails that we were sending out were not reaching people like we were sending um comp tickets to like our you know press and media and right. like we were having to send them like five times and i was kind of like is this is just a horrible coincidence wow this is matrix or am i mate have yeah. i fallen into the dark side of the matrix mm. like or have i pissed someone off who's now saying oh yeah you want to talk about you know us, you know, this inequality, you know, you know, dis, you know, discrimination. Well, watch you know, this. watch this. <laughs> yeah. And I, this about a couple of weeks before, maybe about 10 days before the event, I was just like, I give up. <laughs> Everything I know what to, how to do is not working. And I just need to like stop mm. <laughs> and just pray as opposed to like, we're going no more digital, just spiritual. God, yeah. please did, help did God me. God help? Yeah. Oh, really? I mean, you know, the event is always amazing. I mean, what we're able to do, what's so amazing about it is the sisterhood, is the community, is like everybody getting together and moving together. We have 80 performers. Mm. Um, and we all get on stage and we move in unison and there's like an amazing energy mm. that's built and the, the whole crowd. I said, this is all about moving people, us moving on stage, you as the crowd moving to watch it, everyone being moved as a 
the night goes on and, yeah. and there's something so beautiful about it that, you know, money doesn't really matter. Mm. And I always say, okay, I, no matter how, like two weeks before I'm like, I'm never doing this again. The experience itself. It's so powerful that I go, okay, I'll yeah, but do it, it again. It, I mean, I, I'm sure I agree with you, but still 80 people getting together. That's a lot of energy you want to be able to share. Yeah. And I think it's, and, and it's something that people want to see. I mean, yeah. I go all over the world and see sexy shows. Like it's, it's, you know, it's a, a passion of mine. And obviously like my show is, I'm always comparing it. And, you know, there's only one show in the world that I think is really good. Um, besides mine, of course, and it's the crazy horse in Paris is amazing and uh, beautiful and sensual and classy and elegant. Mm. And anyone who sees my show is like, wow, like this is, it's sensual, it's expressive, but it's really classy and it's not exploitive and it's not right. dirty in any way. It's beautiful and it's celebrating the female body. And we have men in the show as well. Mm. It's not just women, but um, it really is celebrating the female body. And, um, and, and I go to shows all over like, Vegas needs this show. Right. Like I go see all the shows in Vegas and it's like jazz with boobs, you know, or like really, I mean, I've, I've been to, you know, Zumanity, which is Cirque du Soleil's sexy show. And it's, um, it's very freak show. Yeah. It's very dark, very homoerotic. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of, there's almost no shows. Like I said, besides, um, crazy horse in Paris. And then Lido is, is good. It's another cabaret show in Paris, but I, I, I had some feedback for them, which is very, you know. What do you think about belly dancing? Um, belly dancing is beautiful. You know, you were talking about the pole dancing being for women, among women. That it's you know the way you're doing it and the way it was done in the gym, and that it really isn't about the men. Mm -hmm. You know the history of belly dancing. That it had nothing to do with men. It was it was women in the harem dancing for each other and exercising their abdomen so that they could give birth more easily. Mm. It was all about female empowerment. So, sounds about right. And then it, and then men saw it and were like, like well, well, we really like good. this. Bring that over here. But uh, I went um, in Barcelona. My wife studied uh, belly dancing and this world, uh, I forget what they call it, belly dancing all-stars or something, mm -hmm. were playing in Barcelona and she really wanted to go. And I was like, "Go!" Like I'm not into dance shows, right? All right, so we went to this dance show. Holy fuck was that good. It yeah. was the things they were doing with their bodies, I didn't know it was even possible to do with the body. Yeah. The isolation, like moving one muscle like I don't even know where to find that muscle and this these women were just like shifting their hip in like this very precise way and their engagement with their body was just phenomenal I'll say that like if you were the kind of girl that this generation is pole dancing like the last generation you were belly dancing right and it's kind of you know it came to be a bit before this and it's um it's very much in the same lane yeah it seems like yeah it. yeah so let's if if it's okay, let's talk about being a child actor. That's yeah. something that must be full of. It's a unique challenges. way to grow up. I'll bet. So were you doing commercials or movies? Yeah. Or so I started working at 18 months old. Um, Are your parents actors? No, I was just destined for it. I think, you know, when I was little, I was very verbal. I started 
not that that's ended by (laughs) any means, but I started like talking before I was one year old. And when I was two, I was carrying full conversations with like grown adults and they were like, oh my God, she's so cute. Like, you know, jabbering away. And I had these big eyes that were like this size when I was like that size. And people just kept telling my mom, like, you know, you got to put her in, you got to put her in tell, I grew up here in Southern California. Mm. um, People just said, you got to put her on TV. Has she, has she done any acting? And, someone finally said this is what you do like go to the screen actors guild get a list of agents send the polaroid we did that we got responses we got an agent i went out i got my first audition i booked the I like first audition say, we did that we you were like two yeah <laughs> like hey mom let's go down to the screen actors guild get me a card yeah, yeah. and 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 i just worked very consistently from a young age mm. i was a big I'm a people pleaser mm. so I was very directable I wanted to do the things I was mm. eager like there's a story about you know how I got this Tropicana orange juice commercial because they had us it was like a third callback and they had like these kids carrying we needed to carry like a big box of oranges like a crate and like one of the girls was like do I have to carry it anymore and I was like I'll still carry it you know <laughs> you know back and forth like running around with this thing and uh-huh. You know, I was very directable. I was eager and um, I was a good listener. And I did over 100 commercials Mm. as a child. Um, Are you L.A. based? I am now. For how long? A few years, three, four years. years. Okay, yeah. So um, there was a commercial that ran for eight years here in Los Angeles, Mm. like in the 80s and the 90s. And it's kind of one of those things that if I like show any guy that I was dating that like grew up here, they're like, Oh my God, You're... that was you, you know, it was like a very iconic, uh, commercial with, uh, Lorenzo Mourning, who was the voice of Garfield. And, uh, you know, what, I did, what was the commercial for, um, it was for Pacific care and it was, um, <clears throat> this little girl and she's like putting on playing dress up with her mom's clothes and says, you know, he's asking her a bunch of questions like what's left growing up and I like put on this lipstick but you know I've said that line a million times in my life because people would ask me to say it again you know that kind of a thing and it's kind of become an interesting like just statement in my life like what's next growing up I'm still always (laughs) growing up you know (laughs) um and I did uh feature films I was uh recurring role on home improvement which was like the biggest Mm -hmm. tv show at the time and I was a series regular on life goes on Mm. multiple feature films with um, you know big actors and i starring starred in a film of my own when i was like 12 so i worked my whole life right i've never not worked and when you when you were stripping did you ever consider doing porn oh i actually never considered doing porn because of my I mean, I was dancing and it was like this fun thing to do, but there was no evidence, right? There was no photos. There was no, and I never posed nude. I never did anything like that. And it was because I always had a much bigger realm of possibilities than, you know, the other girls that were there. And I would, I would never be involved in something that would, I think, so limit me, Mm, you know, as time went on. Um, So... I, yeah, I never did that. It was always very incognito. And, you know, now I choose to tell people about it because like, I, again, I want to change people's perception. Like I was never, a you know, I have met some of the smartest, most amazing people when I was a dancer. Um, I, I've always been big into business. I'm a serial entrepreneur now, and I would just love talking to the businessmen and, you know, mm. learning from them. And, right. 
you get so deep with people so quickly as a dancer because you're both mutually, you know, motivated, right? Like I'm motivated by the money to connect with you and you're motivated by the boobs to connect with me. And so we go deep with people like way more quickly than, than well, you would otherwise. Vulnerable. There's a shared yes. vulnerability, it's right? It's beautiful. I mean, you're there sort of exposing your body and, and supposedly your mind and there's some, yeah. at least acting out intimacy mm-hmm. and the men are there acknowledging that they're really into it and willing to pay for it yeah there's a vulnerability in that there's a beautiful vulnerability that is not mirrored anywhere else in life Mm. and that I enjoyed deeply and I never I always felt the most empowered and you know because of the Mm. kind of person I am like I never attracted like a victim hunter Mm. you know like I attracted like a really intelligent really confident positive person because that's how I am Mm. and you know if someone was looking for someone to take advantage of I mean it was not me you know they were like next and so I always attracted a really positive client and I really just wouldn't spend time with someone who wasn't going to treat me well, right. you know. And Did you ever work at Mitchell Brothers in San Francisco? No, I worked in mostly in Vegas, yeah. um, in the dot com boom. Man, right. those were good yeah. days. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I had a girlfriend who was a stripper in San Francisco, and I, so I spent a lot of time with strippers. Yeah, that world. We used to have parties that were like you know twenty women and me. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. I've had 20 and and as you were saying they were very uh self-empowered articulate really smart women I I found the same thing in Thailand I spent a lot of time in Thailand and it was interesting you know you'd meet these women who were in their 30s who owned the coffee shop or the guest house or whatever Mm -hmm. and they were always former sex workers whether strippers or Mm -hmm. prostitutes or whatever and it's like there's this self-filtering process where women are like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to play these stupid games you want me to play. I'm going to do it my own way. Mm-hmm. Th- then that was one of the few avenues for them to get their own money, be independent, specifically in Thailand, I'm talking about. And you're talking about Thai women. I'm talking about Thai yeah, women. Yeah, I've and met. And they end up speaking uh, seven languages. And they, yes, and they're, they're amazing. Yeah, and I think that like you associate with a different quality of people like that you wouldn't and in a diverse quality of people that you wouldn't otherwise meet and these are people who have money to spend and they're in you know places that are expensive you know and I was always working in very high-end clubs so you came across a very very high quality customer and then you had great conversations I've learned so many things and I've had you know long-term friendships and relationships with like amazing people as a result of you know working and that environment some rich sleaze balls as well though oh for sure oh yeah i mean like look it's not like it's no utopia right i mean like there are some really and you have bad days man you have days where you don't make money and you're like what the fuck you know and you have assholes and actually you want to hear a great story so this is one of my this is one of my great dancing stories and and um (laughs) so there used to be this guy who was a a a transvestite and i you know with a dick, but boobs and mm. dress and like looked like a really like weird like 80s rocker or something. And he had a huge wad of cash. And I, I saw the wad of cash and I was always like, I was always great with these like, you know, wheelchairs, couples, 
creepy weirdos. Like I'm always going to go talk to them because I wasn't afraid and way less women were going to talk to them. So it was like a higher, Mm. you know, possibility that they were going to say yes. So I asked this guy if he wanted dances. He said he, she, she wanted dances. She said yes. Um, And I started dancing for him. Her, I call it him because he was so male in mm. his body, although he was female in the way that... Uh, I, I Presentation. Know. Yeah. Right. And he just paid me like $300 right off the bat, $500 maybe the first time, and just wanted to berate me while I was dancing, saying like, you know, I wasn't a dude and I couldn't get his dick hard and like, you know, but just keep giving me $100 bills to dance and just talk to me in this. And it was so funny because I had such a high, like, you know, impression of myself that I just didn't even internalize any of the stuff that he was saying. And it was just the most bizarre experience that this guy is going to pay me like a lot of money to dance and then like say that he wasn't enjoying it when he clearly was. And then he would get up and leave after like 10 minutes, like give me all this money. And I would be like, Whoa, that was like the weirdest thing ever. Huh? He was a repeat yes. customer. And he He'd would come, come back, back and he would ask for me. And they would come in back and they'd be like, Leanne, your tranny is here. And I'd be like, fuck. Wow. <laughs> but I would go and he would just break off like three, $400. And I would dance for 10 minutes and he would like talk shit. And then he would just get up and leave. And it was the most bizarre, most like the strangest regular so customer. What he's saying is you don't turn me on. Yeah, because I wasn't a man. Right. And so I couldn't turn him on. Because he's a woman. So. Okay. The story gets better. Interesting. Years later, I'm watching Cat House. um, You know. HBO. HBO show about the the brothel uh, in Vegas. And in walks. This guy who is now post-op. Has a vagina. And is buying hookers and strapping on right. to fuck them. And the whole thing was like, um, Hoff was like... Oh, he's strapping on he's, to fuck the women. Yes. As a woman. He was post-op. And so this was the whole thing. Like, Dennis was like, I do not under... We have this happen where, you know, people have transitioned from male to female. They're now female. And then they come in and they buy women... And 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 use a strap on to have sex with him. He's like, I just do not understand, right? Yeah, that's a long way to go. Yeah, to end up more or less where you start. This, this same dude, same dude or woman. woman. Yeah, and um, and she was so much happier and chiller, right? As a woman, right? But still doing the same things, but completely different vibe. Like once, you know, obviously, like he had breast implants when I was dancing for him, but I don't think he'd done very much feminine hormones Mm, at that time. Right. And then with the feminine hormones and the post-op, the energy and the vibe was so much different. But, um, wow. Like watching that, however many years, 10 years later and being like, Oh my God, there she is, (laughs) you know? So really, really interesting experiences yeah sexuality is so fascinating it is it really is the ways people express themselves through their sexuality is just there's a beautiful book called um conundrum written by one of the first people who went through a sex change operation like in the 70s i think wow it was real early days and this person um it was male to female he started out 
um, James Morris was his name. And he was, uh, you know, kind of like our buddy Kaj, <laughs> an elite soldier. <laughs> Still listening, Kaj? I'm sure he's going to he's gonna love that reference. <laughs> Um, but yeah, James Morris was an elite, uh, in, in some elite military group. I don't, I don't I don't know, you know, his majesty's regiment of something or other in the British army and, uh, fought in various wars and won all these, you know, medals and distinctions and so on. And then after the war, uh, became, um, uh, correspondent for one of the major newspapers in England. And in fact, was the journalist on Mount Everest at base camp when Sir Edmund Hillary returned and announced that he had summited Mount Everest, the first man to ever go to the top. This was the first journalist to report this to the world, right? Wow. James Morris. Then in the 70s, when sex change operations became a thing, he was again, you know, charged into the, you know, the enemy into fire. the fray. Yeah, he was one of the first ones, and this was crude. These, you know, there there was very little experience. How much hormone to give, and how to do it, and the surgery, and all this stuff. And uh, went through it and became Jan Morris. And um, his wife remained married. They mm-hmm. they had children. The family remained intact. Mm-hmm. And Jan Morris became known as probably the greatest travel writer in the English language. Wow. And um, I think is still alive. Probably it's got to be in her 90s by now. Wow. 80s or 90s. Um, and I knew her as a travel writer because I was real into travel and literature. And I read lots of travel writers. And she was the best. She wrote uh, 20, 30 books probably. Wow. And... Um, just super erudite, knew everything about, you know, Calcutta or, you know, these exotic cities all around the world. And, I, and then late in life, she wrote this book called Conundrum, which is a very thin book. And because she never spoke about it publicly. Mm-hmm. And this was her, this Manifesto. is, I'm going to tell the story now, right? And I'll what tell did she it say? Once. I, I remember... I remember her saying, like, she always knew she was a girl. She There was a moment she was sitting under a piano, and she was maybe two years old, and listening to people talking and, you know, saying something about little girls. And she was like, I'm a little girl. Like, they don't know. I'm a little girl. She always knew it. And all her life she felt that. And was there peace after the transition? Did that resolve for her yeah i think so i it's been a long time since i read the book Mm -hmm. um i have it in storage somewhere in spain right now but um it was just really beautiful it's very intimate uh Mm -hmm. and because she's very private and you know she lives her life as jan morris the travel writer um she never talked about her family or all all her travel books are just about the place. It's mm-hmm. never about her. It's mm-hmm. it's all about the mm-hmm. place and the people who live there and all that. So it's very interesting. It's the only book where she turned the camera back to herself, mm. you know. Um yeah, it's it's just very moving. And and I always thought how interesting that a person who had gone through that internal voyage 
ended up being famous as someone who traveled the world, you know, in an external voyage. Well, seekers, right? Seeker, yeah. yeah. And and courage and mm-hmm. truth. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. All that stuff. Yeah. And what about, you've read Middlesex? No, I haven't. You know about it, right? I've heard of it, yeah. It's fabulous. Is it? Uh, yeah, also about this kind of, you know, when... Uh, if you're born with both genitalia, like that they're choosing for you at a young age, but that they don't actually know what your spirit is, so to speak. Right, and then, right. you know, doing all this conditioning to ahead of time. And now there's just much more um, acceptance of like, we're going to let, you know, someone choose later, you know, yeah. themselves. But that book is also the same, like intimate, mm. very vulnerable, very intriguing to be like, wow, you know, this was someone that like, wasn't, it was born half half mm. and how that plays out in a life. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a great one. Yeah. I have a friend who wrote a book called just as God made her, uh, or him. I forget whether it's her or him. Um, but it's, um, John Colopinto. The book is about this child who was born a boy and, a botched circumcision mm. ended up cutting off most of his penis. Ugh. And this was in the seventies. And in the seventies, the sort of blank slate of uh, gender belief was mm-hmm. very prominent. And they consulted with this guy, Dr. John money, who was like one of the leading. And they just turned him into a girl, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I do know about you know this that story. Yes. Yeah. And then, and it wasn't, there was no bad intention. They believed that gender was purely socially conditioned. Right. And so, yeah, they, they did the surgery when the child was less than a year old, I guess, and uh, raised them as a girl. And it didn't work. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really sad, sad story. Because the kid always did boy things and wanted to be with the boys and wanted the trucks and wanted to climb mm-hmm. trees and all this boy stuff. And uh, then in adolescence, the, she identified as a lesbian. Mm-hmm. And then eventually her parents found told out. Her, right. Oh, man. Yeah. And can you imagine yeah. being the parents of that child and watching that? Oh, my God. Ugh. Again, with, with the best intentions, you know, but just the total lack of understanding of that we are born with things that may not align with our bodies or they may. Yeah. Very strange. But then John John met him because he transitioned again back to being a boy mm-hmm. once like 2021 or something. John met him and, and they agreed to do the book together and to share any money that was made from the book. But before it even came out, uh, he committed suicide. Oh, yeah. man. Very rough. Yeah. Yeah. Strange. I don't know how we got onto that. Yeah. From child acting. You know, my <laughs> it's a windy road. <laughs> Tangentially speaking, baby. That's why we call hey, it that. I'm with you on that. That's why we call it. All right. Listen, I I uh I know you're about to do another podcast, so I don't want to drain you of all your it, your It's an it's a bottomless pit. Is it? <laughs> I'll be fine. That's a juicy orange. Yeah. Keep, keep squeezing. Uh, thank you. And, and where can people find you again? Like, uh, do you have a central location or? Yeah. Um, you can find me on the social medias, uh, Leanne on the rise. And my name is 
L spelled very strangely. Thank you, mom and dad. L E I G H A N N. On the rise on YouTube, if you can search Leanne pole dancing, I have a very famous video, Diamonds uh, by Rihanna, that was released five, six years ago. Mm. A couple million views, pretty good. Hell yeah. And um, on the rise, that's your Instagram? Yeah. Oh. And I'm actually working on some new products in this, you know, female empowerment space. So maybe see a podcast for me sometime soon. Yeah. Um, and um, some new workshops. And my studio is, if you're in LA, uh, is uh, Beespun, Beespun.com. We're on Sunset between Fairfax and La Brea. Sweet. And if you want to check out the show, um, RiseTheNight.com is our event uh, space. Anyone wants to hire us, we do private events, stuff like that. All right. Corporate yeah. get Corporate, yep. Yeah. And we do everything from contortion to, you know, uh, sexy dancing to aerial stuff. So it's just like a very, like, female... Um, and uh, Powerful Women Movement Company. Sweet. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. And uh, if people want to hear uh, more from Leanne, you're about to do the podcast with Anya Kotz called A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World. So part two will appear there. Wonderful. All right. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you. Great to meet you. Okay, Mom. Uh, tell people what they can order from the garage. Okay, in our cottage garage, we have lots and lots of T-shirts. Sex at Dawn, Civilized to Death, Vanthropology, Tangentially Speaking, Paleo Modern, and Talking Out of My Ass. <laughs> she didn't like saying that last one. Then we now have some new things added. We've got Beer Cozies. Or koozies, or whatever they're called. Oh, civilized to death. Design. They're all civilized That's right. to death. We have stickers and car decals, right? Yes. Okay, there you have it. That's Julie, my mom. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day. Why do you waste your time thinking about your reputation? Trying to meet an expectation, wondering what they're gonna say. Down. I don't want to give the 
a big deal if you wanna be free. Say what you wanna feel. Spend the night with me. I'm gonna take you up in my arms, and if we must go down, we'll go singing to the smoke alarms. We'll dance into the ground.